Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Claire McKenna. You're listening to Changemakers, the podcast series that talks to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. My guest today is financial advisor Paul Merriman. I met him through my work on TV and radio where our paths crossed with me presenting and him contributing. And I was instantly impressed by his almost Rain Man-like ability to answer any question. Rates, percentages, different permutations, nothing phases him. He'll take them on the hop, he'll take them on the fly. I suppose it's the business he's in and it's what he knows best. We got talking one day about the housing crisis in Ireland. This was obviously not news to Paul, of course. Mortgage brokering is a massive part of his business. But I watched him on social media from that day, drumming up follower experience and opinion, having Instagram live interviews with TDs and basically just setting about gathering information and looking for answers. Then one of the next times I met him, he told me of a plan he was working on to completely overhaul the housing market in Ireland and obliterate the current system, which is failing. Now, I worried about this one fitting in with the podcast series in a way. I didn't want it to become an ad for a business venture because it is a business venture, but It's the very energy that sparked the Changemakers idea in the first place. That push in people to do more that has always fascinated me. In the interview, you'll hear Paul talk about people crying in his boardroom and over Zoom because they're in a couple, both working, maybe with a family. They can't get a house. They're being moved on from the house they're renting and they're left to move back in with their parents and they're in their mid to late 30s. He is a businessman, a clever one at that, and he saw an opportunity. But as you'll hear, it's born out of frustration with a broken system that doesn't have people at its centre. We'll also discuss how our schools need to educate people on money management and how our political and economic systems work. And he's got some hard pills to swallow about borrowing money under the banner of YOLO, you only live once. So here he is. Paul Merriman, you're very welcome to Changemakers. Oh, thanks for having me, Claire. Much appreciated. Looking forward to this one. Before I get into the change that you're looking to make, um, I think it's very exciting and something I'm looking forward to talking to you about. Can we go back a little bit to you and how you came to make money be your career? What sort of a relationship have you had with money yourself over the years? I mean, were you good with money as a kid? Um, well, to be very honest, I was very good at making money from a very young age. I always realized that you need to have money, I suppose, uh, to, to do certain things in life. Uh, you could either borrow it or you could either make it. I always had maybe two or three jobs in between. First job was at 15 years of age uh, as a lounge boy. I think it was at 80 and had my first full-time job at an insurance company. And I was still delivering pizzas in the evening time for Domino's, uh, trying to make extra money to go on holidays and various different things. So I think I'm someone that's always, uh, like I said, uh, being able to 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 make money, um, and I think that's probably the fair analogy. Was I good with it? Probably not. Uh, truth be told, I was probably abysmal because I could earn it. I probably spend it very very foolishly when I was younger, and it's really been through my career um, that I've changed my money habits. I tried to get a bit better with my money habits and pass them on through the through Ask Paul, I suppose. But and how that's happened, Claire, is that the, just dealing with so many clients. I mean, I'm in the industry now nearly twenty years. Uh, and I've met some uh, of Ireland's wealthiest people. I've also met some of Ireland's uh, people that lost a lot of wealth in 2007 uh, after the financial crisis. I met a lot of people that would have gone from 
uh, richest to rags uh, and the opposite way around people that made their own money and built successful businesses so we've had a really good insight and dealt with some of uh, the most interesting people when it comes to money in this country uh, and it's been great I f- think it's the best job in the world um, and I absolutely love it. So talk to me about good money management and, and what that looks like that financial wellness you're talking about I mean are you supposed to have enough to plan for the future or are you supposed to have enough to do that and still be able to to spend a lot. I think we expect a lot from our money. Yeah, you're dead right there. We expect so much from money. And I think, to me, money management is actually quite simple. I think, um, hopefully people listening today would think it is after listening to this piece. Because when it comes to your finances, you, you just have to spend less and plan more. And it depends on what you want to plan for. If you want to plan to be a millionaire, it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort to, to get there. Uh, but if you want to plan just to have extra money at the end of the month and have a comfortable balance or to get yourself out of debt, they're easier goals, in my opinion. You know, So it's obviously what people want out of their own money. But it's basically living on what you have and not borrowing. That's all you need to do. With financial planning and have a good financial wellness feel about your money is to make sure you can live on what you're earning. So if, you know, if you're bringing in as a household, say as a couple, if you're bringing in four thousand euro per month, it's just trying to make sure you can live on four thousand euro per month and not to borrow for stuff that you don't need. Uh, so not to take out short term debts, not to use credit cards when you don't need them, and basically just living on what you can. And then, if you want to be really clever, it's trying to live on less and plan for the future. So if you have four thousand coming in and you know you want to, uh, I don't know, buy a house in three or four years' time and you need a forty thousand euro or thirty thousand euro deposit. Yeah. It's about living on 3000 and saving a 1000 euro a month then uh, for whatever, 30 months. So it, it's, it's very, very logical. But I just think people overcomplicate it. And I think that's done for a number of reasons. I think in Ireland in particular, we had the Celtic Tiger. Everybody kind of uh, got a little bit carried away, uh, maybe a lot, a lot carried away. Um, and then we came back to reality in between 2008 and 2012. Um, and then I think since 2012, the emergence of the, the internet uh, and the influencers and the you know, how easy it is for people to be marketed to uh, about lifestyle. A lot of lifestyle out there revolves around things that cost money. So whether it's designer handbags or shoes or whether it's the best of clothes or whether it's the best of holidays and people going away, coupled with, you know, banks advertising on uh, Snapchat to kids about trying to take a loan for the perfect smile for your teeth uh, or else people saying credit unions putting signs up outside the door saying drive this car for 500 euro per month. That's an appetite for disaster because you've got one part of society filling you full of um, things that you think you need in your life <laughs> and the other part of society uh, giving you the money supply to do it while they're making money out of your debt. So I think that's what seems to go wrong for some people. They they borrow to fulfill a lifestyle that they can't actually afford on their net monthly salaries. And that's generally how people end up in financial difficulty. What about YOLO? What about you only live once and you should buy the car, go on the holiday because you don't know what's coming around the corner. So I, I do think that's a great expression, the, the, the you only live once. And I'm glad you said it because I heard one the other day and it was brilliant. And it really, it really stopped me in my tracks, actually, what I think about my own life, whether it's fitness or whether it's money or my family or my goals. And it's actually you only die once, that you actually live every day. So, you know, you can have the expression that you can get hit by a bus tomorrow and die. But, you know, take again, you're somebody in your 30s. You've got a 95, 98% chance of getting to 70 years of age. So you've got a very small percentage chance of actually getting hit by, like a ridiculously small chance of getting hit by a bus tomorrow. So I think that's a, I, I think the, the, the YOLO is kind of there as a cop over people to feel better about making probably bad decisions. Certainly no other decisions they shouldn't be making. So, you know, ah, sure, I'll put on the credit card. You only live once. Everybody knows you probably shouldn't be doing it. You should save for it or you should leave whatever you're trying to buy until uh, another time in the future. But I do think it's a cop out by people. Don't, don't get me wrong. I've used this myself um, and I still use it. You know, we still impulse buy and I'd still do things with money that probably wouldn't be the best on a financial spreadsheet. But yeah, I, I think you definitely you definitely uh, only die once and you live an awful lot of life, uh, especially if you're in your 30s or your 40s. You've got another round of life to go and you need to fund that. But look, it's all about balance, Claire, you know, so it's all about, you know, sitting down and maybe tracking your money and deciding what do I want, short, medium and long term, and trying to make the best out of your money. Um, and, and that's what it's about. But I also think it's about trying to make as much money as possible and using your time properly like if you want to 
not be in short-term debt or you want to have the nice house cars or you don't have any problems with money or you want to be your own boss and you want to go out on your own and you have to make those things happen for yourself you know you have to go to college at night time or you have to take the chance and give up the full-time job and take the leap and go into yourself employed to try and make that life for yourself if you want so I, th- I, th- I just get the impression that a lot of people you can fund the lifestyle through borrowing or you can actually make the lifestyle through hard work and I just think it's easier to borrow it than it is to maybe commit to the hard work part. And I think people sometimes get confused over the two of them. That's my thoughts on YOLO. <laughs> what are the outside influences, though, that can affect people's ability to manage their money well or <clears throat> even have a comfortable financial life? Because there are plenty of people out there who work really hard, but the money they earn just isn't going to give them perhaps the lifestyle they, they want. And it's it's not an option necessarily for them to to study at night because of other commitments they have and, and, and to move yeah. on. So they get they get stuck. And then I suppose we have things at policy level. What are some yeah. of the outside influence that can that can also trap people? Yeah. So I think there's there there are a lot of people that I, I think feel trapped. So I think being trapped and feeling trapped are two completely different things when it comes to finances and opportunities. You mentioned there that somebody that has income and they can't afford the lifestyle that they may want. You have to have the lifestyle that your income affords. So, you know, you can be sitting at home and have a lot of personal debt and not have that much cash flow coming your way and always want to maybe dream or wish of a better lifestyle. Uh, but again, it's like the, the 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 guy sitting on the couch every evening watching Netflix for five hours eating pizza and he wants a six pack. That's not going to happen. You know, you're going to get off your arse and go to the gym and watch what you're eating and put the effort in to get the six pack. It's the exact same with your money. Now, the problem is some people might have gone into a situation where they might have children, they might have childcare costs, they might have too much personal debt. Uh, and they might find it difficult to get out of that situation, but I genuinely believe that everybody has it within them to change their financial situation. It will take some people longer than the others. I think everybody has the the opportunity, but some people want it tomorrow, and it will take other people's maybe 10 or maybe 15 years. But, you know, I'm in this industry 20 years, and I can say I've probably only lived a comfortable lifestyle for the last five years. I think the first 15 years was very difficult. Uh, when I was working for somebody else, when I was setting up my own business, like I remember, like our business is probably going to turn over this year alone well over six million euro. I remember probably six years ago, my wife Sarah having to go to the credit union and get me a twenty grand loan to keep the company afloat in December one year. <laughs> so, like, it, so it's taken me a very long period of time to get to where I am, business wise, finance wise, success wise. I've studied at night time. I've done everything. Uh, we've had children in the middle of it as well. So, um. But look, I was trying to say, I hope I'm not coming across being condescending to this or saying it's easier. I know everybody has their own personal struggles, but I think like any personal struggle or any personal situation you're in, it's about planning to get out of it and making sacrifices. And that's, the word sacrifices sounds harsh because it is hard to make sacrifices. And it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would be doing it. Like I know people that are working two and three jobs to try and better their life and trying to have more income and trying to get the kids education funds set up and make sure they have a better life than them. And I, I, but I also know people that are sitting on social welfare and, you know, they probably, they could probably get less if they went to work. And um, so that's when we were talking about policy changes, what costs you could change. But um, yeah, so I think I, 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 I'm not, okay. I'm probably very over optimistic on that, but that's the, and my kind of personality. And I think that anything's, I think anybody can achieve anything. I really, really do believe that. Yeah. And I suppose you have to be in it for the long game, as as you say, and we are living in a society of, of, of instant gratification. Um, yeah. Where do you stand then on the poverty trap? Um, the idea that people can be living in generational social welfare and going for low income jobs and the cycle just continues over yeah. and over again. What, what yeah. can be done to, to change that and help people who who do want to get out of it. Some people are on social welfare for a whole host of, of reasons. But what yeah. about people that end up trapped? I think the only way we can help people in that situation is through better education programs. I think it has to start in the classroom. I think it has to start with education. Like, let's look at the classroom for argument's sake, Claire. We don't get taught, I don't know, I didn't, I presume you didn't either. Did you get taught anything about money before you left secondary school? Nothing. I think there was something about compound interest yeah, at some point, but that might have been, I did a marketing degree and yeah. there was yeah. there was a good bit of accountancy stuff in that. So it may yeah. have actually been there, but I think we got how to calculate compound yeah. interest, compound if interest. anything. That's, 
Yeah, but not in relation to money management, no. no. There's nobody telling you about credit card debt. But if you went into schools and educated people about how income tax works, how salaries work, how jobs actually work, you know, how does interest on credit cards work? Why do you not? Why do you need an emergency fund? What do you need in your life to be successful from a financial point of view? And how to manage your money? How to manage your income? Because I grew up in an era where a lot of my friends and peers would have been saying, Oh yeah, sure. A two hundred a two hundred euro a month loan is fine because I'm earning maybe fourteen hundred euro a month back then. But it's absolutely not fine because you've only got fourteen hundred euro, and and two hundred's gone. So if you can afford two hundred euro per month, that doesn't mean you can buy something for ten grand and pay it back over five years. It means you can't afford something for ten grand because you only have fourteen hundred. So we're leaving the education of money or mismanagement of money up to banks and up to people that are trying to sell you a loan to make money off you. Like the banks are full of marketing departments that are trying to make it easier for them to sell their loans. Banks only make money by selling people loans. You know, so whether it's a mortgage or whether it's a personal loan or it's a credit card, that's how banks make money. We should be teaching people from 16 years of age to invest their money. We should all be educated that way. So I think that's the only way we can affect change. And that's something that is done in America. That's something that's done in the UK. Maybe not as much as it is in the US. Um, but we're just so undereducated when it comes to our money. And a lot of people start off automatically on the wrong foot. And that's how people, in, in my opinion, end up in massive trouble. Can we talk a bit then about the housing crisis here yes. in Ireland? What do you think are the biggest contributing factors to where we are right now? Uh, politicians and supply. And they both come together. We change our government way too often. Uh, we change every four years and um, there's no consistency. There's a complete lack of consistency. And I have zero faith in the political parties that are there and zero faith in any long-term planning. So I, I, we need a complete overhaul uh, over housing policy um, and that has to start internally. We have a massive supply issue in this country and one that we don't seem to want to actually acknowledge the government are trying to build i think it's 20 odd thousand houses a year they haven't once met that quota not even before covid19 i think we need maybe 40 or fifty thousand houses a year and not 20 so we have a government that are completely underestimating how many houses we need and so therefore how how are you ever going to get on top of it i think dublin is going to become a mini london i think it's going to be extremely extremely robust property market for the very foreseeable future. I can't see this crash that everyone's talking about. Uh, I think the financial crisis in 2007 was brought down by a global uh, financial crisis. Um, and I, I think that, that we now have way better regulations in place and we're not seeing reckless lending. We're seeing very prudent lending. And with prudent lending becomes a very good market to be involved in. Um, and the, the, the property price are just going up purely because of the lack of supply. And we have county councils that are backwards. We have politicians that don't care, in my opinion, or don't seem to care. And they seem to be so far removed from where people are at the moment. It's scary. And it's very, very, very frustrating, especially for like we. And, and why I'm so passionate about the housing market is from a business point of view, we've helped uh, hundreds, thousands of people with financial plans over the last number of years. Uh, but when you have first time buyers, uh, on Zooms and they're crying because they got outbid in the house and the rent is up and they're moving back to their parents' house and they're in their late 30s. Like, that's that's wrong. Like, that is wrong. And those people are probably earning 100 grand combined income and paying massive income tax into the system <laughs> and they can't buy a house. It's it's just completely wrong. People will come, they'll complain, they'll moan, they'll do it on social media um, at <laughs> when it comes to the voting bill, they're gonna go back in and vote Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gaeli. and and fairness, don't blame them. You don't know who else to vote in. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we've got a massive political problem in this country, and I think you're going. You mentioned the proper the, the poverty gap earlier on, uh, and what to do if you're in it. I think it's only going to get worse as well because we're in a situation now where the wealthy are just going to continue to get wealthy and wealthy and wealthy, and people that are in low income classes are just going to be stuck there and remain there for the foreseeable because nobody has their back and nobody is making it easier for them to get the property ladder they're being left in rental situations where the government know i mean if you look back to august this year up to june this year there was over 500 properties uh notified to the tenancy board that people were going to uh that landlords were giving their properties up they were selling their properties basically they don't want to be in the property market anymore uh, and there was only two and a half thousand houses to rent in this country at that time so 
those people are going to be homeless. <laughs> so there's no, like if you don't have a supply of sauce stock and you have people that are buying houses over people that are, you know, um, not necessarily people that are buying houses and people that can't get a mortgage because of government policy, even though they can probably afford the mortgage, they're paying more in rent than the mortgage would be. Those people are going to end up homeless. And they're people that are not even low income, they're middle income earners now at this stage. So it's a complete shambles of a market. We actually have a massive housing crisis in this country. We don't have a property problem. Uh, we have a massive, full-blown housing crisis that needs to be addressed urgently. And I'd urge anybody listening to, to, to really think about who they're voting for when it comes around to uh, the next election because this whole policy of this government have been a complete shambles, in my opinion. Or as you say, do more than just complain and then move on to the next news story. Or, yeah. You know, yeah. to actually complain, to actually contact yeah. your local TD and yeah. to actually try and affect a little change. I mean, you, you do hear all the time that money is the root of all evil and and that a focus on profit margins only never really serves the people. And it's just interesting what you said about the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer and that gap will grow. And so many people were horrified to see some of the world's richest planning on their next planet and their 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 move into space instead of dealing with the problems of, of world poverty. Is that too much of a naive kumbaya view that we could all help each other and all work out each 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 problem? There is, but 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 you know what the it, it is. Let's let, let's take that in two stances. Let's look at the billionaires. See what the billionaires are doing. The problem for billionaires is that billionaires have, like, if you look at Amazon for argument's sake, the amount of tax that Amazon actually generates through employment is phenomenal. So uh, I'm not trying to stick up for Jeff. He was here, but if I was him um, and I had made billions and I had and I wanted to do something, you, you should be able to spend your money or whatever. It's going to Mars or going to space or Mars, going to space and uh, floating around the space. If that's what ma- it makes me tick and I have billions and I can afford to do that, that's okay. Uh, governments is where, that's what governments are there for. That's what those people are paid that money for. You know, we have a, a Taoiseach earning more than the PM in Britain and the, uh, the, the English Prime Minister and the American President. Um, we have a very, very, very small country uh, and we have very, very, very well uh, overpaid politicians that are not making the decisions for the whole of the population. Let's look at the housing crisis. How does it make sense to allow international funds come in and buy your property from under our nose and not tax them? Like we all know that is absolutely gaga. Like that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No matter what spin you want to put in about these people creating employment or these companies creating houses that people need to rent, the government should be buying those lands up. That's the obvious thing. They need to be buying those properties and putting in better social and affordable housing. But they're putting money before people. And that's what our government has been doing for decades. And they did it before with Fianna Fáil. They did it before with Fianna Gael. We all complained, we complained, we complained. The problem is that people, when they vote, say if, say if myself and yourself, uh, Claire, set up a political party tomorrow, okay? I said, right, we're for the people, by the people, and we want to make sure that we put people first. We wouldn't get enough votes to even get a sniff of the dog. We're, we're creating the same problem every four years. So, so I think systematically we have this completely wrong. I think this is, again, but I'm not sure how many people are really aware about how our political system works. It's the same way as you weren't educated on finances. You're not educated on your. Most people go out and vote for who their parents voted for. I, I do think it's. I, I do think it's. It's. It's a complete sham, and uh, I think it's going to continue that for the. I, I just can't see a change, unfortunately. I just can't see a change. And aside from the people struggling to get on the property ladder or struggling to pay high rents, what it means to be homeless has completely changed. So we would have always thought stereotypically this was somebody yes. who's fallen on he- hard times for a number of reasons, ends up out living on the street. And that is still very much true. But we have a whole host of people who are in what's termed now as emergency accommodation and kids that are literally growing up in in hotel rooms. And we just don't hear enough about that anymore. We, we are failing. Like, we are actually failing as a... Like, it, it's actually just... Um, it, it, it's just horrendous. And at what point then did you decide that you want to try and affect change in this area? 
Um, it was with the housing crisis. So I've been ta- talk, talking about this concept of a kind of community of people uh, coming together in the mortgage market space. Uh, and this has brought up a, a, a new concept for us called Peasy. Uh, so it, it's, it, it's there for property made easy. So what we're trying to do is bring a product to the marketplace uh, that would allow people uh, to stop getting greased by everybody. Um, so I'll go through that in a second. But when the effect of change really came is when um, the housing estate down in uh, Kildare was bought up by a fund. Uh, and it was supposed to be first time buyers. The people were queuing. This fund came in, took the property, and a fund that wasn't paying any tax. And they took a couple of houses, a couple of hundred houses off the marketplace. And they actually outbid the council who later turned out were trying to buy it, which is even worse again. And I'm kind of saying, hold on a second. I've got clients that are queuing up for, like literally queuing up for houses overnight and panicking and looking at planning permissions in different locations and literally sleepless nights for themselves and their families trying to get on the ladder. And we've got them approved for mortgages in our firm. And we're saying, hold on, there's something wrong here. So why is this happening? Uh, so if you look at the demographics or look at the, sorry, the business case for this, the builder obviously gets, the build, I think the developers get a lot of stick in this country. Now, I live in a house that was developed by somebody. I'm sure your house that you're in is developed by somebody and your parents' house and everyone's house has been developed by somebody. That's what developers do. But I think developers get an awful hard time. But developers are business people. So if you have an option to sell 400 units of, let's say you make jewelry and you can sell 400 independent pieces of jewelry to 400 different people over a one-year cycle or else one person will come in and buy those 400 pieces of jewelry off you tomorrow. Every single one of us is going to pick the 400 people that can buy tomorrow, no no matter what you want to believe in. That's what we're all going to do. We're all built that way, and that's what will happen. So we came up with this concept called Peasy, and Peasy is a situation where you come to us, you get approved for your mortgage. Now, why you'd come to us, I think when you go through a mortgage application, first of all, you try and get approved, then try and find a house, then you have a solicitor, then you have life insurance, home insurance, you might need a surveyor, and all these things cost money. So the idea behind PZ is you come to us, we get your mortgage approved, and when your mortgage approved, we then, number one, are going to pay your solicitor fees. Now, it's an upfront cost of €500 Euro to get your mortgage approval, but it means you get approved fairly quickly, you have your approval to go buy a house, but the first thing we're going to do is mitigate your fees, which range from 1500 to two grand. So that means you're up, you know, straight away. Uh, we're also going to do your life insurance, your house insurance internally, get all your discounts applied for you as well. And you're dealing with one person through the whole process. So you don't have a broker, you don't have a solicitor, you don't have another broker for your life cover. It's all in the one house. Uh, and then we get you approved. And then what we're planning to do is appoint you to a builder or through a developer. So in theory, let's say for argument's sake, we have 4,000 people approved for the properties in Dublin. We will be able to give that list to developers or bring developers to our clients and say, well, here are people that are looking for it. So in theory, our clients become the cuckoo fund for themselves. So now you're buying that bulk off a builder when a builder or a developer comes to look at a site. Say they go to look at a site in Bray and they can build 300 houses. They come to PZ, they've got 300 people that are mortgage approved, ready to go, solicitors lined up, and they can put a deposit down. They can close that house with no questions being asked. That's when you start to affect somewhat of a change with the developer's attitude because developers want to sell three, 400 houses to 400 individual people. So now we're solving an issue for a developer and that when he's going for his finance force or going for planning permission, that he can show the local council, he can show the bank that he has 300 people waiting and they're approved for their mortgage. They're being approved by us so we can see where their deposits are, what mortgage they'll approve for, etc. And they go straight through the process and they get that plan, maybe the house off plans before it goes up. Now, what we're also able to do then is take that 400 people and be able to say combined, let's say those 400 people have paid 5 million income tax. We can now go to local councils, local TDs together. Let's say we manage with 100,000 people throughout the country and you have people in Cork, people in Galway, people in Mayo, and you're able to go to government and say, well, we're actually now representing 100,000 people or 50,000 people, whatever the number is. Let's say 10,000 people. We are representing 10,000 people who have combined paid 50 million in income tax and they want to buy a property. Now, that's where you're bringing the money part in. We mentioned this earlier on, Claire, about greed and money and how things are affected. We can forecast how much income they're going to bring into the government through tax of buying the houses. We can show how much employment's going to be made. So we're pulling people together in the one piece. Now, we're giving money away. You know, we, from our point of view, from a business point of view, we'll get more mortgages, et cetera. And, you know, obviously we're, we're, going, to, we're going to have in, increased income. But we're trying not to be greedy. We're trying to say, right, how do we actually affect change? 
why don't we give the money back? So why don't we give money back for the legal fees to make sure that the people are not actually paying too much money? Because when you go through a mortgage process, every turn you make is more money. So whether it's a surveyor, whether it's a solicitor, the life cover, the home insurance, the valuation, all those things are going to be wrapped in for you. So we're trying to say, well, look, Roderick's taken loads of money off the table. Let's put it back in. The other thing we're asking the developers to do is run developers having to pay fees now to the agents. We're asking developers to make those fees available to local homeless charities. So you're saying, well, look, rather than giving a, an agent $3 million to sell this property uh, for you, a 300 house or 30 house, whatever it is, just make a small contribution to the maybe a million euro of a contribution instead of $3 million of a contribution to the Peter McFray Trust or whatever the charity is going to be. And now those people can help the other people that are in need of homeless. So we're really, really trying to take the whole property market and try and see, can we affect the change that's taken away from the politicians? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So it's a lot for us to do. We're going to step up to the mark. We're very passionate about it in the company. Um, and it's been, we're at the front line of people buying houses for the last 20 years in my career, but the last four years have been gaga. Like we have people that are crying on Zooms, crying in our boardrooms of frustrations and not being able to get a property. And they're earning massive incomes, in my opinion, and they're paying massive income tax, which is worse. Like they're paying tax to the government. Like they're paying these wages. Uh, look at my, at my own business alone. If you look at it, 2020, I think I have three companies. So between the three companies, I paid well over a million to revenue. Okay, so between employers, PRSI, the staff income tax liabilities, our corporation tax on our profits, everything that we've done as a business, if we're buying property or putting money or rent into the local, if we have our, our rates on our, on our office, everything we've paid is over a million euro. That covers four years of a TD salary <laughs> or, or, or the Taoiseach salary, if you like. But, you know, if you break it down and you keep going, you're saying, well, our, we're generating that million that's going into the pot. There's sort of companies putting in way more than I am. But I'm still generating a million. So if I'm able to generate a million worth of income tax for the government, I feel that I should be able to come up with a solution that will help people because the government don't seem to be doing that. So if I can pull 10,000 people or 20,000 people together into this PZ system, uh, get the mortgage approved, help them from a financial point of view on their mortgage journey, and then be able to go to government, go to developers, go to councils and affect change. I think that can only be a good thing. What was it like trying to put a team of people together when you're going to lawyers, when you're going to solicitors, when you're going to developers? Was there um, a motivation in people to try and affect change along with you? Um, I, I gotta say yes and no. So we spoke to a lot of people on this. Uh, the developers have been the best, believe it or not. I think developers have the worst reputation. I don't deserve it. I really do. And I'm not just trying to say that. You know, uh, like we've went to two or three different developers. We spoke to them. They were very excited about the project. Thought it was the best thing they've ever heard. They really wanted to get involved, help change. They introduced us into more developers, uh, to more developers to have more discussions. So when we launched a product. Like I said, the whole purpose of this would be that you will have a, let's say, for example, you look for a house on uh, the north side of Dublin or wherever you look for a house. Uh, let's, just, let's just take it top of my head, Ashbourne. You look for a house in Ashbourne, there's a developer there. I'll be able to match you with that, the developer, by the time he even you know goes for the planning permission or when his planning permission is true. So it makes the developer's job much easier. It makes your, your, your job as a house purchaser a little bit less stressful and you'll have everything in place. Uh, solicitors, in fairness, um, you know, it, 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 I think people underestimate how much a solicitor has to do in a contract. And I think they underestimate how much, uh, 
I did how much their insurance costs if it goes over a certain amount as well. So I think like if you look at an average, say somebody's buying a house for three hundred thousand euro and it's fifteen hundred euro, uh, I wouldn't do fifteen hundred euro by a solicitor. I, not a hope. I, I think it's I, I think it's it's madness that I think it's actually very cheap solicitor costs compared to the work that the solicitor actually has to do for conveyancing in this country is madness. Uh, I don't know how they're making money. To be honest with you, I, I don't think there's any money to be made in conveyancing. Uh, what we're trying to do is recycle the commissions that we get from the mortgage company, from the bank. We're trying to recycle that money, that commission we get. We're giving it back, basically, to pay the solicitor fees for the client. And we think that will entice them into PZ because they're getting their solicitor's fees for free. Um, and that's a way to grow the community within PZ. And as soon as we grow the community, it's when you will start to see changes being made. Uh, and I think a petition... You know, I see a few people with petitions going around. Petitions have never done anything in this country, nor will they ever do anything. Uh, no matter what you do, you can write the TDs, you can, money will make a difference. And you said this already, Claire, you know, money does unfortunately make the world go round. So if you can pull people together and say, we've 10,000 people, and now those 10,000 people, they're approved for whatever, 100 million worth of property. That's when people start saying, oh, hold on, let's get this done quickly. But at the moment, we're all individuals complaining individually and nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together and they are trying to get in the property ladder. Are you willing to take on the, the criticism that you're, you're going to face? Are you taking a risk? I think it's a risk. I mean, from a profitability point of view, we're bringing our profitability in the country, company uh, down. Uh, massively by doing this, you know, because we are paying the, the the fees, we're offering discounts then as well, and which we fund as well ourselves. So we're taking less commission, and the commissions we are taking off the the banks, we're putting back, giving back to people. Um, so some people have said I'm mad, some people think I'm so mad to do it. Um, but at the same time, somebody has to do something, uh, and this may or may not work. I don't understand how it won't work. Uh, I don't know why you would go anywhere else for a mortgage approval rather than to PZ because number one, it's going to be the cheapest mortgage you're going to get, as I said, no boys, as you're not going to have your legal fees to pay for. Uh, it'd probably be the easiest process as well. We're dealing with a, a very restrictive bank, so banks that are, are looking to help change as well in the marketplace, that are looking to underwrite your mortgage quicker as well. So as a client coming to us, you're going to get you know no legal fees. You're going to get discounted life house insurance. You're going to get no valuation costs. You're going to get a free valuation. So it's already probably, you're up probably 2,000 euro already by the time you do anything with us. So it's in your interest. Now we're down 2,000 euro, but we think by mass, it's going to help us a lot. Um, and now you're part of a community. You're part of a community where somebody is going to actually have your back. That's not a politician. That's not being paid by, by the government to be able to go and try and impact change with government and with politicians and with also the developers. And the developers have been extremely receptive for this because they just want to build houses and sell houses. <laughs> That's all a developer wants. The developers are not land hoarding the way people are, are presuming they are. Developers are there as business people and they're building houses. And like in a lump it, I think it's over 90% of the houses in this country, or 80% of these countries have been built by developers. So we need developers. But we also need people to buy houses. So it's not... I just don't think that this is that, that complicated. I just think nobody is working in the best interest of the person actually trying to buy the house, Claire. They're all individually in their own interest. So a mortgage broker, a traditional mortgage broker, is there just to get the mortgage off you and get paid your commission. The solicitor is there just to get your solicitor, your legal work just done and dusted and get paid his fee. The valuer is there to value the property, get rid of it. The agent is there just to sell the property and get their commission. The life broker is there to say the life assurance. The home insurance broker is there to help you say you know, home insurance. So there's five or six people taking a cut out of everyone that wants to go for the mortgage. So we're saying pull them all together, make it cheap, make it affordable for the person buying, and then be able to affect change by having a pool or a community of people that are looking to buy. So we're just trying to bulk buy, get people to bulk buy together, houses and estates. So like I said, if you come to PZ and say 10,000 people, we have 400 people in Bray looking to buy, and we know they're looking to buy a two-bed or a three-bed or a house with a garden or a house with a park or whatever their, 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 their requirements are as a punter, and we can actually match them with a developer that has the same idea. Well, how does that not work? And because you said at the beginning, you got an idea early on that you can work hard, you can make money, and 
that's what you wanted and you, you went on and that became your thing and you built up a business that's making a big profit. This is something that's very different. So was this like a whisper that you kind of got, an idea that sparked in your mind, a gut feeling that you felt you couldn't ignore? But it was a house up for sale beside me. Or a, a house that had planning permission for 17 units, I think it was, beside me. And I was going for 2.5 million. And I was walking by it one day, walking the dog. And I actually said to myself, I could buy that tomorrow. And I could go on Instagram tomorrow and probably sell every single one of those units. Like within a heartbeat. Like I could literally do it. I know I could. Now we get 2.5 million together. There's a bit of work involved in that. I was like, well, what if 17 people wanted to do this? And we just split the cost between us all. Why is that not done? Why can't people do that? So, but they need, people don't know how to do it. So I know how to do it. And there's a few other people in the country that will know how to do that. But nobody's doing it for the better good of the person trying to buy the house. They're doing it for the better good of building those 17 houses and flipping. Like actually that house, that estate has been bought. I don't know who, but that house has been bought by somebody. And nothing's happened in over six months they've been bought. Now, in my opinion, that should already be started development. That I think is going to be sitting there for the next two to three years. Maybe the person who bought it wants to flip it for double money when the housing market's up in two years so they can actually do that under the current legislation, which they shouldn't be able to, in my opinion. But that's where this stemmed from. And I was thinking, well, I can do this differently. I can actually buy this house, put it on Instagram. Who wants to live in Carrick Mines? Who has between 300 and four, whatever, 400 and 600,000 for a house? Who's mortgage approved? I could get them the mortgage and we could split it between you know, the cost of building the site and everyone gets a house or 17 people get a house. And that then, a couple of months later, this scandal broke about the, the cuckoo phone going in and buying this whole estate. And I was like, hold on, this has to stop. This is actually just madness. So then we went into the boardroom. We spent a few weeks pulling apart this PZ project and deciding how it would work. We start bringing in solicitors, brought in a couple of politicians off the record, and we brought floated by a few people's, uh, a few people, and everyone thought, yeah, this is amazing if it works, if it works. And what we needed to work is for people to in like do business with us. But I think by offering free legals and by offering a very, very uh, good customer service from a point of view of getting your mortgage approved in the first place, I just don't know why anybody would go anybody else for mortgage approval in the country, no matter where in the country you are. I think the more you're in the, the community field, the more you'll tell your friends and your family, we got mortgage approved in a couple of days with free legals and we can see the work that PZ are doing uh, in the papers or with governments or with, with, with the likes of the developers. Um, at least I'd be able to match, you say, clear yourself, if you're looking to buy, again, give the example of Ashbourne and say, if you're looking to buy an Ashbourne and we know you're approved for maybe 400,000 euro, whatever you're approved for mortgage-wise, and the developer's going to put house up for 400,000 euro, and then you're just going to be matched with that developer straight away. And the developer has comfort knowing that you've got your mortgage approval. You've also been vetted for the fact that you have all the money. So you have your gift from your family or you have your deposit or you have yourself in your previous house. So you're taking all the ambiguity out of the marketplace um, I'm making it very simple. It, this shouldn't be that complicated. And our house house boy process hasn't changed in a hundred years. It's, it's, it's always been this this complicated. So it's trying to take a very complex situation, complex product, complex sale, making it easy and just making it as simple as possible for people to do business. And um, I think that's what we're that's what I've always been about business wise anyway. So it kind of it, it suited me. <laughs> it suits what we're trying to do. What kind of effect is this going to have on the market? Uh, estate agents are going to hate me. Uh, and I don't know that uh, because theoretically speaking, you know, there's no need for estate agents. I, I, you know, an estate agent, like, let's be honest, Claire, you could sell a house tomorrow. Like, if, I, if you actually put a house up for sale tomorrow, you could sell it yourself without an estate agent. Like, there's people are literally chomping to buy houses. Estate agents just viewing a house and selling it. So, you know, this has an absolute phenomenal potential. Like it could be a case where if you're selling a secondhand home, you could be coming onto PZ and matching yourself pretty much like a Tinder site. You could be matching yourself with a seller that is ready, mortgage approved, PZ approved, and they're looking to buy in your area, looking to buy a four bedroom house and they have 400,000, you're looking to sell 400,000 and you're matched and you sell. And the solicitor is all done for you online. So it should be that easy to sell property. It doesn't need to be this complicated. So I think we're going to have a massive kickback from uh, estate agents. Um, and uh, I I think that's it. I, I, I think maybe banks that aren't involved with us, we're not going to be using certain banks because they're a disaster from an underwriting point of view and from a mortgage point of view. Uh, so I think the, the more market share we get, the more grief we're going to get from some banks. Uh, but like anything, once we get a kind of critical mass of people using the service and people signing up for the service, 
um, and we'd be encouraging people that are, you know, even if they're two years away from buying to engage with PZ and fill out our questionnaire and let us know where you're thinking of buying, how much you're trying to buy for, what your incomes are. And that will allow us to recon the market. But Rick, we've got a very strict contract in that we will not be telling the developer what we have. So that we won't be able to, we won't be saying to the developer we five hundred people that are looking for a, a five, that are approved for five hundred thousand of mortgages. That's not the case at all. We'd be saying to the developer we have five thousand people that are looking for three beds and four beds in that area. The market is the market anyway, so we're not going to be affecting the market changes. So um, yeah, I I think banks and estate agents will probably hate this concept uh, because it eliminates them a lot. Uh, but something has to be done you know it's a ridiculous market out there and it's it's getting impossible and we're at the we have done so many consultations for people and have so many people sitting waiting that are mortgage approved that can't actually find the house to buy and they're not going to find the meter clear which is the funny thing which is the sad thing it's not funny sad Uh, so unless we actually start trying to make an impact for our clients and for our future clients and thinking about them rather than us, like we're making money, we're profitable, we're doing great, we're doing great business, we love our business, I love my job, I I think it's phenomenal, uh, I wake up every day with a buzz and I love what I do, um, but I think we can still make money and help people, I don't think it has to be one or the other, I think you can still make healthy profits and you can still help people with what's a very, very complex situation. Would you describe yourself as a dreamer or do you only take calculated risk um i i i think uh, to me this isn't a risk uh, and i genuinely believe that everything i've done business was to date i don't think it's ever been a risk I, I think i don't know what that means i take calculated risks but when i come up with something or concept was or a business to me it's always any of the business i've got involved in it's always been it's a need it's a no-brainer for people to engage with and it should be it's there to solve a problem that needs to be solved from a dreamer point of view. Yeah, I think I'm a dreamer. I think most entrepreneur type personalities uh, would be a dreamer, but I think the word dreamer is um, not going to say condescend. I think, I think, I think it's a word that when you're a dreamer, it means you're always going to be a dreamer. You're never going to reach there. You know, I think that's the problem with that word. Like when I, when I, when I think of someone being a dreamer, I think of people that just have good ideas and never get off their ass and do anything about them. Um, I think I'm probably the complete opposite. We we come up with ideas, we structure them, we we hopefully implement them from a business point of view. And I would love nothing more than we you know we got set up a few different companies and they're all doing quite well and making great money and it's 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 brilliant and have a great lifestyle and my family are secure and it's it's a phenomenal feeling to be able to do that. But peasy to me is. I will hopefully be my legacy. Maybe I've made a complete bags of it. Maybe people won't sign up to it. Maybe people won't trust me. I don't know. Um, but I do think it, I do think it's something that can massively affect change in this country with property and help people get on the property ladder easier, quicker. And I think it will make a massive dent on the housing crisis. And I think it's going to do more than any petition is going to do. So I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the risk if it is a risk. Because you have a a sign um, in your in your office on your office shelf for forty million, and I've asked you about it before, and it's from a a fund you set up, and even with wealth management, Mm. to make more money, you have to be willing to take more risk. Yes, you do. Yeah, but but uh, well. Again, if, if you look at so that that forty million is for a company we we helped reach forty million uh, German fund uh, a phenomenal fund that our clients uh, are in. Uh, it's it's a kind of medium enough risk fund. It's delivering between four and six percent, very conservatively on an annual basis for people, and it's a phenomenal fund. And we do really well with that company. And, and they gave us this what's called a, a trophy or a tombstone when you reach certain milestones. We had one got the twenty five million when we got the forty million, um, and that's what that forty million is there for. So it's kind of, it's it's a it's a kind of proud moment for it was a proud moment we got presented. With it, so that's why I keep it on my shelf. Um, but when it comes to to wealth management in, in my firm, so we have a, a company called Pax Asset Management or Financial Planning, and Pax is uh, our main company that's regulated with Central Bank. And I've asked Paul the brand underneath that, which is the consumer kind of led financial planning firm, and then PZ would be under Pax as well. Um, but wealth management, we've about one hundred and ten odd million of money that we manage for people. And you mentioned the word risk there. To me, when you invest, it's only a risk if you pull out of an investment at the wrong time. Uh, and markets are very cyclical. Markets will go up and down in value. 
And generally speaking, in my professional and honest opinion, if you're investing for 10 or 20 years and you're in what would be deemed to be a high-risk fund by central bank guidelines point of view or uh, the ESMA risk profiling of funds, um, if you're in there for 20-odd years in a pension plan or a long-term investment strategy, there's actually zero risk if it's a well-diversified portfolio. Because the world, as you've already mentioned, money makes the world go around. It's like going back 20 years ago and buying a property or going back 20 years ago investing in companies. The majority of companies that are in the funds that we use are still around. They're still doing phenomenally well. Now, if you want to go and buy Bank of Ireland and put all your life savings into one company, well, then that's a massive risk. So again, I think the word risk is used very very easily by people. I think it's it's a word that shouldn't be used so much when it comes to people's money. I, I think, you know, people just need to educate themselves on how money works and, you know, uh, how markets work. And if you do invest a little bit of money, you have to be prepared to leave it there for the long term to make money. It will go up and down in value. Will it lose all its value? No. And none of the funds that we've invested in, like the fund that I invest in with the majority of my clients has been around since 1932. Uh, sorry, I mean, around 30, 30, 32 years is 1988, sorry. Uh, 1932 is a very long period of time. Uh, it was about 32 years. Uh, and it's done 11% or over 11% per annum on average uh, since then. That's a phenomenal. It's a phenomenal return. Uh, it's 100% every decade over 30 years um, or over that amount. So, it, look, it, it's very easy, in my opinion, uh, once you know how they operate. Now, if you go into that fund, that fund in 2008, for argument's sake, Claire, did minus 30-odd percent because of the financial crisis. The following two years, was up 40% from that low. So if you go into that fund and you have a good advisor and you know and you've got regular communications about what's going on in the fund and the fact that the fund is down that you can't touch it and you can only take your money out when it's up, well, you're not going to go wrong. Uh, if you don't have proper advice and you go into the fund and it falls by 30% and you, you take it out minus 30%, well, that's silly. You know, that's that's not risk. That's that's silly. <laughs> so um, it, it depends on how risk is described to you and how well you're educated on how funds work but uh, like I said we've we, we've over 110 million of money that we manage in the firm um, and uh, we, we, we do quite well with it for people and we, we, we help people make money um, so yeah it's 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 and people I think people think wealth management is very complicated it doesn't have to be it's 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 fairly easy and um, and it's fairly predictable as well Um so yeah that's where the 40 million stems from a little bit about the practice in general I suppose well if there's one thing I've learned from you, dreams or risks and their meaning aside, you have to be in for the long game and things take time. Um, and while that may be the case with your plans, I sincerely hope that they do make the change that you're looking to make and that it will be your legacy. Paul Merriman, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Claire. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.